Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Acts, chapter 20, the 20th chapter in the book of Acts. And uh, thanks to the choir, Nathan, man, what a great time of worship. Uh, Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be. Yep, let's give them. Awesome. Acts chapter 20. You know, there, uh, when you look at the, the whole concept of saying goodbye, uh, there's, there are a variety of ways of doing that. You know, there, there, it's one way to say goodbye one way, then another setting, you may get to say goodbye in a different way. And uh, everybody is different, really, in the way we say goodbye. When you, if you look at a six-year-old, for example, just use this as a little kind of a exhibit A. You know, a six-year-old who's headed off to his first day of school, right? He's leaving home now. He's going off to school. He's growing up, headed off to first grade. He's going to look back in one way. He's, he's going to say goodbye. He's going to say, bye, Mom. You know, that's his way of saying goodbye. But Mom is going to be like the cowardly lion, right, from the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> you know, it's just going to be this all to pieces. Two different ways of saying goodbye in the same context, you know. And goodbye, you know, we all say it differently. But there, I would say for every one of us, you know, there, we've all had times where we've had to say it. And it hasn't always been easy. Well, as I mentioned earlier, this is the time where we as a church, in a, in a real way, say goodbye to Nathan and to Lauren and to Addie and to Liam against the backdrop of it's a Christian context. You know, we say goodbye knowing that it's not final. It's never final in a Christian context, but there is that point where your paths begin to go different directions by God's will. And so today is the day officially where we say goodbye in that context. However, I will have to say that we as a staff, because of the depth of our godliness, did not overlook the fact that we could have a little fun with this as well. And so we did play a practical joke on Nathan just a few weeks ago in the context of all of this that's been going on for the past few weeks. And so he, uh, I guess about three weeks or so ago, he, he went up to the church in Michigan and uh, he, he was coming up, it was all arranged, where he and Lauren and their family went and uh, they brought them up to, uh, to kind of be publicly presented, I think was kind of the way. You know, for, for preachers, it's in view of a call. For him, he went kind of in view of a call of this new ministry position as worship and prayer pastor. And so he, uh, he went, he was going to be leading worship on a Saturday night, leading worship in their services on Sunday. And, uh, and, and so that was all set up for a certain date. So for some of us in the office, we took advantage of this opportunity to play a little joke. And so we, uh, we kind of put together our creativity and... Uh, you know, I can't believe where some people would choose to go, you know, but, but um, we, we wrote a letter as though it came from the other church, okay? And so we kind of put this together. Jeremy, our children's pastor, who is responsible for your children right this very moment while you're sitting here, is upstairs with your kids. He crafted off of that church's website a little fake uh, letterhead. He did a really good job at it, by the way. <laughs> it kind of scares me. And, uh, and so Jason, who's responsible for overseeing your growth in Christ, put together a fake envelope, um, complete. I don't know if there are federal agents here today, but he did fake a, like a whole metered mail thing and everything. I mean, it was beautiful. It was really well done. And uh, if there are agents here, I do not know Jason Gamble. I've never met the man. Um, and so, and then we put together a letter and, and uh, we, we, we faked a meeting that we needed to have that Nathan had to be in. And so we called this meeting in the office and, and during the meeting, Joan interrupted and she brought this letter and, and uh, interrupted the meeting with Nathan. He had to read it because this was a letter from somewhere in Michigan. It looks like it's from this church. You need to read this. And, uh, and so this was the letter that, that was delivered to him, and um, it went really well. So um, <laughs> it's from the, from the lead pastor at uh, Grace Point Church in, in, there in Hudsonville, Michigan, Joel Wayne. Uh, and so he signed it. He didn't know he signed it, but he signed it. Um, 
so Nathan, I hope your week is going well and you're enjoying your spring-like temperatures for these last couple of weeks in Savannah. It is a warm 22 degrees here today, so come prepared. As we make final arrangements for you to be here this weekend, there is much excitement about all that is taking place. We cannot wait for our church to meet you and your family and see what lies ahead as we begin serving together. However, there's always a however, isn't there? (laughs) In recent conversations with Jim Jeffrey and John Van Dyke, these are two staff members there, one topic has dominated our conversation recently, and I feel that I need to mention it to you in advance of your trip here this weekend. We have some concerns that your hairstyle may become a distraction. (laughs) This is as funny now as it was the first service. (laughs) We have a concern that your hairstyle may become a distraction to authentic worship amongst our church family and are requesting that you consider an alternative hairstyle before you arrive. (laughs) This is so good. (laughs) We have attached a few photos of suitable samples. (laughs) Oh, boy. We've attached a few photos of suitable samples that we feel would be more appropriate and are confident that any of these would go well with your personality and leadership style. We look forward to seeing you this weekend and cannot wait to get a look at the changes in your life. And so we attached some hard copies of some actual um, alternative hairstyle options for him to consider. And here's the first one. Uh, his name is Bradley, <coughs> Bradley Knight. Now, there is a backstory to that you may not be aware of, the choir is familiar with. Bradley Knight is a composer, does a lot of musical arrangements for churches and ministries. And Nathan actually met him, I think, a couple of years ago at a big conference. And uh, one of the few people, I guess, that can be accurately said that when Nathan met him, it was that jaw-dropping, like, ah. <laughs> I forgot my name. It's good to meet you. And uh, and so we had to include this picture. There was another alternative hairstyle to consider. Um, (laughs) So big it would not fit on the slide. So, and appropriate because Nathan and Lauren are breaking our achy, breaky hearts as they leave. So, (laughs) and then there was a third, my personal favorite. Yeah. We vote for that one. Yeah, so during the reception today, we're going to be giving Nathan this haircut. <laughs> and they're going to love his new look. So, <laughs> Oh, boy, so that was good. It went well. Uh, one of the best jokes I think we've ever pulled off. And uh, so it, it went pretty well. Well, when you look at saying goodbye, again, there, there, you wish there was a place in the Bible we're told you had to do it because it's not always easy and it, every circumstance is different and every context is different. But you wish at least there would be a passage in there that would teach a church family and a group of believers who come together every week to say goodbye to someone, to a group, to a family that has been such a big part of the ministry and been such a big part of what God has done. But there's no place in the Bible that teaches us how to do that. There's not like a Psalm 151, right? One extra chapter in there somewhere that teaches us how to do that. But there are principles in Scripture that teach us a little bit about how we can say goodbye and, and, and how we want our goodbye to be one that we're proud of. And I think one of the best places we can see this is in Acts chapter 20. 
And so I want to give you a little bit of a context of what's going on here in Acts chapter 20. The key player really in this chapter is a man by the name of Paul. Probably for most of you here, you're familiar with Paul. Uh, if you're not, he, he's going to be the key figure outside of Jesus himself that you're going to read of in all the New Testament. Paul was one who didn't know Christ early on in his life, in his adult life. He was a Jew by heritage, but he did not embrace the Messiah of Jesus. And, and so in his early days, he persecuted the church. He would go after the church maliciously. And anyone who had claimed the name of Christ, he would go from city to city, Paul would, and he would capture those Christians and he would try to bring them back so that they could be falsely tried and imprisoned and in some cases more than likely even executed for their faith. However, there was a turning point in Paul's life where Paul ultimately placed his faith in Christ and he came to Jesus and his life was radically changed. And after that point, what we find is that Paul would become the greatest missionary really the world had ever seen. And as he would travel from city to city and from region to region, the world would be turned upside down because of the message of the gospel, not because of Paul, because of the message of the gospel that Paul would deliver. And we find here in Acts chapter 20 that he is addressing for the only place in the entire book of Acts, Paul is addressing Christians. Everywhere else that you see Paul speak, he's speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to those who need the gospel. But here in this context in Acts 20, Paul is speaking in the only place in Acts to a group of Christians. And this group would be a very select group of individuals that he would invite to himself for the sole purpose of saying goodbye. In the book of Acts chapter 20, we find a flurry of activity. There's a lot of movement from one city to the next on Paul's part. He's moving by land, he's moving by boat, and he's traveling from one place to the next. And finally, what we find here is that when he gets to the very end of Acts 20, he's in a little city called Miletus. Miletus would have four natural harbors that would serve as the harbor for the city of Ephesus about 30 miles away. Paul had planted a church in Ephesus. He would spend about three years in the city of Ephesus, teaching on a small scale in the synagogue, and then blowing it out bigger, teaching on a larger scale in a lecture hall there, Scripture tells us. Many would come to Christ there in Ephesus. Paul would face tremendous opposition. You can read about that in Acts 19, the chapter before. Well, Paul would ultimately find his, his, his road going a different direction by God's design. And so he comes back to the city of Ephesus, or, or, or to the city of Miletus, and he calls to himself a group of pastors from within the city of Ephesus, 30 miles away, to say goodbye. And so it's in verse 17 that we pick up here in Acts chapter 20. And I want you just to get a little sense of the emotion, but also the principles that, we're, that we see Paul lay out here as he says goodbye to this group of pastors. Verse 17, it says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus, again, 30 miles away, and he called to him the elders of the church. The elders of the church, it may sound a little odd to you, but in the Greek language it'd be evident that these are more than likely pastors. Later in this passage you'll see that the context of it supports that these are pastors, these are leaders within the church there in the city of Ephesus. And so Paul calls the elders, he calls his fellow pastors that he spent three years with, to himself, 30 miles away in the city of Miletus. Verse 18 says, When they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. In other words, Paul says, I, I, I preached and I taught you in a big setting and I did it eyeball to eyeball, individual by individual, house to house. That I, I, I taught you and I preached to you, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, let me just pause there because that last verse is an interesting place in the Bible. If you've ever wondered, does the Bible lay out the plan of salvation anywhere? You know, I always hear the ABCs of salvation or the Roman road or, or you know, all these different varieties of how to share the gospel. Is there any one place that tells me what I need to do to have a relationship with God? And you find it right there in verse 21. Because Paul says the component, the major component of his message was the gospel. That a person has to repent, right? Verse 21, they have to repent towards God. In other words, turn away from our sin that keeps us from God, that keeps us bound away from him. We have to repent, we have to turn from that, and ultimately we move to God by placing our faith in the person of Jesus Christ, trusting in his payment on the cross. And if there's anyone here who's never made that decision, you may feel like you have a relationship with God because you're a good person, or maybe because you're in church, or because you've always been in church. Mom and dad had you there from the earliest of your days. And maybe you feel like, you know what, I've never hurt anybody badly, I've never murdered anyone, I've never stolen anything significant. You know, I'm good, my good outweighs my bad, I'm going to go to heaven. None of those things matter when it comes to having a relationship with God. Because what Paul says here is he says, there are two components that are important, most important. One, that we repent and turn from our sin, and that we trust and place our faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul says when he looks at all of his ministry, three years in the city of Ephesus, and if we were to look at all of his areas of ministry throughout the New Testament, this would be the key component to his whole entire ministry, preaching the message that a person has to turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus. And what Paul has done here is very interesting. He has pointed out all the things that he did well, all the things that he did rightly, not to pat himself on the back, but to emphasize to these Ephesian leaders what mattered most. And there's a principle there. Because as Paul assembles here, by the time he comes to the end of Acts chapter 20, he's been in ministry for over over 10 years now. He said goodbye to a lot of people. And as he stands in front of this group of pastors and he says goodbye, he is reminding them that there is an importance, there is value to doing it rightly. And I would say there's a principle here. And the first principle is this, that one's past faithfulness should be recognized. There is nothing wrong with recognizing a person's past faithfulness. We can bring that principle up if we can. One's past faithfulness really should be recognized. In fact, I would say must be recognized in certain contexts. Paul says, here's what I've done. I have set you an example. I have been consistent in my ministry and in my personal walk. I have been sacrificial. I have sacrificed for you through my personal walk. And I have been Christ-centered, verse 21. Everything I've done, I've done to the best of my ability with a heart that's been right before God. No, I've not been perfect. No, I've not nailed it in the bullseye every single time. But the best that I could, I've sought to honor God through the ministry that he's given me. And he paints for us a picture here of the value of recognizing amongst ourselves someone's past faithfulness. You know, I think when we look at the context for Nathan and Lauren, how they've done ministry here for all these years, for Nathan being on staff almost 16 years now, Lauren was actually here a little bit before he came. Uh, all through these years, they've done ministry, they've done ministry faithfully. For Lauren serving year after year after year after year in preschool ministry, serving in children's ministry, serving on search team in the past before, going to the Philippines, the list goes on and on of different areas of service where she's made an impact, and the list is far and wide of the lives that have been impacted through her service. And for Nathan as well, as he's led worship here, as he served on staff in a variety of capacities, starting from the very beginning... Whenever uh, our previous worship pastor left and we had a time of transition, Nathan was actually on the search team to call the next worship pastor. It became very quickly evident once he started leading our choir, he needed to be off the search team and in, the, in contention, <laughs> you know, for us to be praying about considering. He became our, our, uh, our music pastor at the time, ultimately would become our worship pastor as well, and would lead in this capacity for a number of years and do so incredibly faithfully. 
in a way that went far beyond music, far beyond bands, far beyond any of those musical components, though he did that with excellence, but it went deeper to the heart of who a person needs to be in relationship with God. I did it well, extremely well. And as Paul lays out for us a picture of how we say goodbye, there is that one component where one's faithfulness should be recognized. We're grateful for what God has done through Nathan, through Lauren, through their kids, as young as they are, for Addie and Liam, even through their kids that have also set an example of what it looks like to have a heart after God with simple childlike faith. Paul also paints for us a picture, not just of recognizing past faithfulness, but also what it looks like when we look to the future. The principle that he paints there is that there is also a place in our lives where our future service has to be embraced. Our future service has to be embraced. You know what's so hard about embracing the future? This isn't going to be like a deep philosophical moment. You know what's hard about embracing the future? We don't know what's there. If I knew that my future held us a certain component, right, that I had always longed for, had always wanted, it'd be very easy to embrace that future if I could have a choice. But we don't usually know what the future holds. And that makes it somewhat difficult to embrace a future that we don't know the details of. We have to embrace the future by faith. We have to embrace the future by following a God who knows the future, who charts our steps for us in advance. And that applies to every single one of us seated in this room, every single one of us. Look at what Paul says here as he begins to embrace the future. Look, look at what he says in verse 22. He paints a picture of what this looks like. He says to these Ephesian Christians, he says uh, to these Ephesian pastors, he says, Now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem. Paul was making his way towards Jerusalem to get there before Pentecost. That was his desire. And he said, not knowing what will happen to me there. I have no idea what the future holds, Paul says. All I know is that God is leading me. And and one other thing that I know, verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. See, ministry is not ours. It doesn't matter whether you serve on a church staff or not. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, it's never really our ministry. It's always his. We just show up for service, hopefully every morning, with a smile on our face and joy in our heart and a willing spirit. But it's always his ministry. Paul says, I have no idea what the future holds except it's going to cost me. Except that there's going to be those who hate me because of who I identify with in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Paul says, that's all I know. And, but my desire is that I finish my course, the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to, so, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, Paul says, I have embraced every step along the way where one city hated me and Ephesus was one of those where he got run out on a rail, right? Because they went after him. They hated his proclamation of the gospel there. Paul says in every single city, whether I was embraced or loved or hated and rejected, I sought to answer the call of God and to embrace whatever future he had for me. That was Paul's desire. That was Paul's heart. Look at what it says a little bit further along. Paul continues, and he paints a picture for us in verse 25 of a little bit more of what the future sometimes may hold. He says, and now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Paul was about to make his way to Jerusalem, and he knew in his heart he would not see these people anymore. He said, verse 26, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. In other words, I've done it rightly. I've done it well. For I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God 
And then he says in verse 28, he begins to shift gears. He begins to speak no longer about himself, but he begins to speak to those that he's about to leave behind. He's about to speak to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. Verse 28, he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, Paul says to them, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. You know, Paul understood something that we need to understand as well. We need to keep it at the forefront of our minds. Paul knew this clearly. He had been through this, through this routine enough to know how the enemy operates. Paul understood that in any time of transition, whether it's in your own personal life, when you're transitioning in career or in some other area of your life, whether you're going through transition as a family, whether you're going through transition uh, uh, as a church or on a much bigger scale, Paul understood a simple truth that when we go through times of transition, there are always two opportunities that exist. There is an opportunity for us to trust God in the midst of that transition and change, whether it's on an individual level, family level, church-wide ministry level. Paul understood there's an opportunity to embrace God, to look to God for, for direction, to look to God for strength, to depend on God and his power for everything that's needed. Paul understood that every time of transition creates a great opportunity to grow deeper and to expand wider and to see God do things that only God can accomplish. But he also understood... That in times of transition, whether individually, family-wide, or church-wide, Paul understood that there's also a negative opportunity for the enemy to sweep in and absolutely wreak havoc. And we have to understand, for us as a church, we have to understand for ourselves as families and as individuals that when we go through times of transition and change in our lives, either, this is our choice, we will be dependent upon God and dependent upon the Holy Spirit and seek His face, and not all of us try to throw in our own earthly solutions and and lean on the flesh and say, you know what, my talent's got this, my intellect's got this, our know-how has this covered, we're going to be just fine because of all of us who are here. No, we don't want to go that route. We want to say, God, we depend on you, we're open to you, our eyes are upon you, we're crying out to you, so that whenever God moves in and God begins to do a great work, it's only he who gets the honor and the glory. And if we choose to push him to the curb, whether this is for Nathan and Lauren as they move into new uh, transition into new ministry, or whether it's for the rest of us here, when we, whenever we choose to push God to the curb and to step to the front and say, you know what, I got this, we are opening ourselves up to whatever the enemy wants to do because he works really, really well through the flesh. But when we focus on Christ, and when we present ourselves as available to him, and when we say, God, our only will is to follow your lead, what we find is he gives direction, he provides strength, he equips those who lead and serve, and he gets his work done through his people and gets all the glory for it. Past faithfulness should be recognized. When you look at your life, if this was the last day for God to say, you know what, I'm not going to use your life anymore, could you look back over the course of your life to this point and say, you know what, up to now, man, oh man, God's used me. I've been so faithful. Or if God were to say, you know what, today's your last day. I'm not going to use you anymore. Would you look back and say, what a fool I've been, the days I've wasted, that I could have let God use my life to be faithful to him. Future service needs to be embraced.
So what does God hold for your future? And are you willing to follow him wherever he leads you, regardless of the cost, regardless of the sacrifice, regardless of the price tag? But what about the present? What about when you say goodbye and the present gets difficult? What about when that goodbye is a little harder than you thought it was going to be? What about when the goodbye puts you in a position where you haven't been in a long time? Well, in that context, what we find is, is that God offers his comfort. Because in the context of goodbye, the present holds nothing but the promises and the very comfort of God himself. Our present struggles, our present difficulties will be comforted by a God who is always faithful. Look at how this passage closes in verse 32. Standing there on that water's edge with those Ephesian pastors around him. Paul says, And now I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Verse 33 is a little bit funny, kind of in the context of today. He says, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. It's kind of funny to think that uh, I can say, well, Nathan, I've never coveted your clothes. Um, (laughs) And he's never coveted mine either, by the way. (laughs) I said in the first service, but I do want some pointy shoes. Um, I had to go go to some of this. Paul said, I've done it well. You know, I've done it right. Verse 34, you yourselves know, he says to these Ephesian pastors, that these hands ministered to my own needs. I provided for myself and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, we find that whenever we go through times of difficulty like this, we find that God offers himself as our comfort and as our strength. John chapter All right, let me go back to this. The slide got mixed up. Verse 36, as Paul finishes out this passage, he says, When he had said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul. And they repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word that he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. It's the Holy Spirit that God offers to us through a relationship with Christ who gives us comfort whenever we go through times of difficulty. John chapter 14 Jesus is praying and he says, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you forever, that is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And because of his presence in our lives through the presence of the Holy Spirit, what we find is that when we go through times of difficulty, when we go through times of challenge, when we go through times of separation, when we go through times of, of, of newness and transition and change, that it's God who's right there with us every step of the way through our relationship with Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know what stands out to me about that passage that Paul shares in Acts chapter 20? or that Luke shares about Paul there in that chapter. There's one little verse in verse 32 that stands out to me. And it says, Paul closed out that time with those Ephesian elders. You can see him kneeling on the, on the water's edge. Look at it again, verse 32. He says, and so I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. You know, it was Paul saying goodbye. Surrounded by a group of men that he had invested three years of his life in. And it was Paul saying goodbye to a group of men that he knew he wouldn't see again that would be responsible for the church 
that he was there to see born into existence. You can understand the emotion that was probably there on that water's edge when he said goodbye. The greatest thing he could have said, right here in verse 32, was the only thing he could do. As he turned to say goodbye, he said, but I commend you to God. You were never mine to begin with. You've always been God's, and I commend you back to him. A God who is always present, a God who is always good, a God who is always faithful, and a God who will always have a plan for your life. I commend you to God, and I commend you to his grace. For Nathan and Lauren, for Addie and Liam, from a church that loves you, we commend you to God, to his grace, to his plan. And for those of us that are here with a high call in our lives to reach a community that is lost without Christ, we commend ourselves to God, who is always faithful in times of transition, who is always good to those who know him and love him, and who always uses the life that is yielded to him fully and without strings attached. So what might God be calling you out of today? What might God be calling you to say goodbye to? You know, it's not just one family that says goodbye today. For a number of us, we may need to say goodbye to some things in our lives. Maybe for you today, God is calling you out of a sin that has held you captive for far too long. And it's time today to say goodbye and to step into what God has in store for you that is far better. Maybe for you, God is calling you out of something that's been comfortable for you. And it's been a good thing. But you know God has a new plan for your life. And he's calling you to say goodbye to this, to say hello to this new opportunity in your life. Where he's leading and where he's directing. But it takes faith to say goodbye. And it takes faith to obey. But gratefully for every single one of us, we read from cover to cover in this book that we serve a God that when we follow him with all of our hearts, he is always faithful. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the example that Paul sets for us in the book of Acts of how we say goodbye. And Lord, whether it's a family that has meant so much to so many of us for so long, or Lord, whether it's goodbye in a different context in another area of our own lives, Lord, we thank you that you're the one who calls the shots. Lord, you're the one who's in charge. And that as we follow you, you will always take care of us. And so, Lord, as we commend Nathan and Lauren and Addie and Liam to you, to your grace, God, we pray that you will use them greatly and that we'll hear stories for a long time of how you're impacting hearts and lives in that area surrounding that church, God, through their ministry that you've given them. God, we pray for us as well as a church here, First Baptist of the Islands, that you planted here over 60 years ago. And Lord, you've seen a lot of people come and go through those years. A lot of people who filled a spot, who accomplished a task that you put before them, and that you called forward to another field, or maybe even home to where you are. And God, we pray today that as we transition into somewhat of a new territory, that our dependence would be solely upon you, that it wouldn't be on any one person or any one group, God, there's not a one of us who died on a cross. There's not a one of us who's risen from the dead. Our entire lives and eternities depend upon you. And so, God, we trust you in these days of transition when we move forward that you would make our hearts to continually beat hotter and hotter and hotter for those in this community and in this city who don't know you, who need to see the gospel lived out through our lives, who need to hear the message of the gospel proclaimed from our lips. God, we pray that you would expand and grow the, the, this ministry, God, and move our walls out further and further. 
Lord, so that your name could be made great from those of us who are part of this church. And so, Lord, we commend each and every one of ourselves to you, God, that you would make yourself great through our lives, that you would enable us to embrace whatever future you have for us by faith, that we would be faithful to build up and encourage one another of those who are faithful to you because of their service in the past. And, Lord, that when we look to the present, that we would enjoy you and that we would walk with you closely, always grateful for the blessings that you've given us in our relationship with you. So God, for those who don't have a relationship with Christ today, I pray that right where they sit, that they'll make the one decision that'll last forever in their lives, and that's to turn from their sin and to invite Jesus to come in and forgive them and to take over. And God, for those of us that have made that choice, Lord, may we follow you wherever you lead. And when all the dust settles and all has been said and done, and may it be only you that gets the credit and the glory and the honor for whatever lives we live. Bless now the decisions we need to make, God, to help us to live that way. And may you get the credit for it in Jesus' name. Amen.